everyone. Welcome to episode 61 of The Music Room. In this podcast episode, I interview Amy Abbott about gender neutrality in the music room, which is an important topic and I really appreciate having her on. First, a little bit about Amy. Amy Abbott has been teaching elementary music since 1998. She received her undergraduate degree in music education from the University of Colorado at Boulder and obtained her master's in music education with a Kodai emphasis from Colorado State University. She has Kodai certifications from Portland State University, where she studied with Jill Trinka, Susan Brumfield, Vicki Lopel, and Sean Diepler, and from Colorado State University, where she studied with Sue Bocock and Ann Eisen. She has presented sessions at OAKE conferences, the Colorado Music Educator State Conference, Texas Music Educator State Conference, Oregon Arts Alliance State Conference, various OAKE chapters, as well as professional development for several districts around the nation. She is also the Level 2 Pedagogy, Folk Song, and Analysis Kodai teacher at Colorado State University. Additionally, Amy has served on the Rocky Board for over seven years as President, Secretary, and Member at Large. In addition to teaching general music at Red Hawk Elementary in Erie, she also teaches a 4-5 choir, tone chime choirs, and a drum ensemble. In the spring of 2013, she was honored with a Jared Polis Foundation Teacher Award. When not teaching, she loves spending time with her husband, son, and daughter, and she also enjoys to garden, to blog at www.musicallaabbott.com, and creating for her TPT store, which is called Amy Abbott at Music a la Abbott. I hope that you enjoy this interview as much as I enjoyed interviewing Amy. Here's the show. I'm so excited to welcome Amy Abbott to the show. Hi, Amy. How are you? I'm good. Thanks. How are you? Good. I'm so glad to have you on. So can you start off by telling us about yourself and your music educator journey? Sure. I'm a Colorado native. I've lived in Colorado all my life, except for my first three years of teaching. So my first three years of teaching, I went to Salem, Oregon. The music program there was phenomenal, but my grandmother was struggling with breast cancer. My brother had just had a daughter and I was really missing family. So I moved back to Colorado. Then I started teaching in St. Brain Valley School District. I taught at Indian Peaks, which was a Title I school for 10 years. And then I moved to the planning committee and I've been teaching at Red Hawk ever since. I moved schools because it's much closer. I started my commute from like 20 minutes to three. So oh, that's nice. Um, yeah, for sure. So um, yeah, I'm happy where I am. We have, uh, we do a musical every year and we're doing a Zoomsical this year. The kids are great. My daughter is in fifth grade and it'll be the last year that I have. This is the last year that I have one of my children at Red Hawk. Kind of bittersweet. Yeah, I'm sure. A Zoomsical, that sounds fun. Is it like a musical over Zoom? It is. So I think like the way they did Ratatouille. This I haven't cool. seen that. I saw you post about it on Facebook, but I haven't it, checked it out yet. It was so cool the way it's done. I mean, just the, the way the performance can go on and go forward in okay. the times that we have right now. I'll have to check that out. That's so cool. All right. So what inspired you to start your journey with gender neutrality? Because of Facebook, I've been able to follow the paths of many of my former students. They friended me or I found them and friended them. Many of my littles from my first years of teaching are now in their late 20s and 30s and have started families or, and some of them come out as gay or transgendered, non-binary and such. And it really made me reflect on my own teaching. One specific student that really drove my passion to research this more was cast as Winthrop when we did The Music Man. And at the time, I identified as a female. 
but as being cast as Winthrop, this student was able to really find themselves in a way. Their attendance in third grade and fourth grade started going down. They didn't want to attend school. They had social anxiety. And then fifth grade is when they got cast as Winthrop. And through that process, they started to identify as a, as a male and really find themselves and find comfort in who they were. So that's kind of the heart of where I started this journey. That's wonderful. All right. So you had a student who kind of took this journey and through their role in the Music Man, they were able to kind of come to terms with their gender identity. Would that be fair to say? Yeah, they kind of were able to explore more of who they ended up identifying as and they wanted, they identified as a male. Mm -hmm. That's wonderful that music could do that. Mm-hmm. All right. So before we go into this discussion, kind of dive deeper with gender neutrality, can you tell us some terms that would help us better understand gender neutrality in the LGBTQ plus community? Sure. I'm going to talk more about some of the, the ge- more of the gender roles rather than the LGBTQIA plus community, mm-hmm. uh, because a lot of that is easier to look up and find. But the terms I'm going to deal with deal more with identity rather than sexuality. Okay. So gender binary is the idea that there's only two genders. There's male and female or man or woman, and that a person must strictly be gendered as either or, and that there's no gray area. It's there's two genders. That's it. Non-binary is a gender identity. It's just one term used to describe individuals who may experience a gender identity that's neither inclusively male or female or is between or beyond both genders. So non-binary individuals may identify as gender fluid, agender, which is without gender, third gender or something else entirely. And then there's cisgendered, which describes somebody who feels comfortable with the gender identity and gender expectations assigned to them based on their physical sex. So I'm female, I'm cisgender because I identify with the physical sex that I am. Uh, Pangendered is a person whose gender identity is comprised of all or many gender expressions. And then gender dysphoria is a term that describes a sense of unease that a person may have because of, of a mismatch between their biological sex and their gender identity. And then this unease and dissatisfaction of gender dysphoria is so intense that it often leads to depression and anxiety and can have a harmful impact on their lives. And then gender fluidity is the idea that there's a spectrum that gender is not strictly either male or female, but they identify with both genders and is very fluid. What we're talking about today is gender identity. There's also gender expression, which is the physical way somebody would identify gender. It doesn't really always express the gender that they identify as. Then you have your anatomical sex, which is your organs, and then your sexual or romantic attraction too, which is also part of gender, but it's not, again, as an educator, you're focusing on the identity. Got it. That's really helpful. Thank you. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of times people think of you know, gender identity as something that doesn't really develop until like maybe middle school or high school. So, you know, going back to the story you told about a former student, Mm -hmm. it really can happen in elementary school. So it's good, you know, for those of us who are listening, who are elementary music teachers, it's good to really think about that. So what are some common mistakes in regards to gender neutrality in the music room that you've seen, or you've heard about, or maybe that you've made yourself? So when I've been doing this presentation, I've been starting off with baby shark video. Uh-huh. <laughs> because if you watch the video, it's, it's so full of family stereotypes. There's this baby and then there's a mom and a dad and a grandma and a grandpa. And mom is like pink and the dad's blue and the grandma uh-huh. is, you know, very feminine. And grandpa's very feminine. Um, and so that's a family stereotype of what we assume is a family. 
and you know, stereotypes are overgeneralized beliefs about a particular uh, category of people. And children are exposed to stereotypes all over the place. They go to you know the store and they see the girl toy aisle and the quote unquote boy toy aisle. And then you see commercials that I have children identifying as male or female and having a mom and a dad. And it's kind of cool. There are some commercials that are starting to go against the norm mm -hmm. or the stereotype. And then things like gender assigned bathrooms as well, too. Those are things that these kids are exposed to. And research shows that as early as three months to a year, children are starting to identify with gender and gender specific toys, which was really interesting to me. And then if you look at your preschool, you go down to the preschool or the kindergarten rooms, they're starting to identify with gender at that age too, because you'll see gender, like girls playing with girls and boys playing with boys, typically. Mm -hmm. I mean, there's always the norm that there's always people that break that norm. Like my daughter, her best friends have always been boys, mm -hmm. but uh, stereotypically, again, stereotype is not good, They but they do tend to socialize with same gender peers. I think there's some social justice things that have to be discussed before you kind of can apply it to the music room. Mm -hmm. That gender neutrality or the gender neutral movement is the idea that policies, language, and other social institutions should avoid distinguishing roles according to people's sex or gender in order to avoid discrimination rising from the impression that there are social roles for one gender is more suited than another. And then there's also the confusion between equity and equality when we come to social justice platforms. Equity means the quality of being fair or impartiality and equality means the state of being equal. And I think that a lot of confusion people think is they're focusing on equality rather than equity because equity is about access to success. And so I think that's really important as an, as an educator that you're uh, providing opportunities for all of your students to have access to success where equality is the possession of success. So everybody gets the same thing. Does that make sense? Yes, that's a really interesting distinction. I like that. And so when you're applying things to that in your, in your classroom, then you're looking at many things like your pronoun use and your attention grabbers, your uh, song literature, gender roles and singing games and your communication homed parents, et cetera. So backing up to the pronoun use, one thing that I still struggle with, I know, is the um, use of the singular they, them, or there. Mm -hmm. when you're talking about somebody uh, because you don't know. I mean, but using the singular they, them, and there is taking away the equality, it's making it equitable instead. Does that make sense? Yes. Okay. And then when you've got attention grabbers, um, if you use boys and girls, all right, boys and girls, or I had a kindergarten teacher that say, okay, B's and G's, as cute as that is, what if you have a student that is not identifying as a boy or a girl at the time? Right. And um, then that excludes that student. Um, another one that I've heard teachers use, and I've heard a lot of my student teachers use is, hey guys, all right guys, let's do this. Well, they're not all guys. <laughs> you know, so it's um, trying to find attention grabbers that are not identifying as binary, that are only the exclusive boy or girl. Does that make sense? Right. Yes, for sure. Um, so then you come up with alternatives. Like for music, I love using melodic attention getters where you sing a pattern and they echo it back to you. We all know that everybody uses ta, ta, ti, ti, ta, the clapping pattern, you know, right. Um, trying to find alternatives to get their attention. One of our teachers goes shark bait and they all put their hands over their heads and they go, ooh, ha ha from uh, Finding Nemo. Okay. Uh -huh. <laughs> Another one goes, Andy's coming. And they all fall on the floor like their toys from Toy Story. <laughs> I have seen my students do that before. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> I know. And then they're like, all clear. And they all stand up in line. <laughs> uh -huh. And then Waterfall is another one. I have a teacher that I work with that goes waterfall and they'll go, shh. 
And that one I love because it's just calming. <laughs> right. Yeah. But so you've got your pronoun use and attention grabbers. And then you look at your song literature too, because a lot of times, like I'm thinking of one of the songs we're going to do next week with our fourth graders, our third graders is among the little white daisies because it has a tickety in there. Mm -hmm. And it's, you know, Noah is his first name, first name, first name. Noah is his first name. But instead of saying his, you know, you would change it to Noah is their first name, first name, oh, first name. Oh, yeah. Little, little pronoun uses also in the songs that can right. help change it so it's more gender neutral. I use hickety pickety too, with uh, as an example, hickety pickety bumblebee. Will you say your name for me? And the child says, My name is, my daughter's name is Hannah. And then you would say, Her name is Hannah. Mm -hmm. Well, take out the her and say, Your, your name is Hannah. So right. you're to that student. I like a lot of times just to take pronouns out in general when you're addressing students as well and, and use, their, use their name. Right. You know, instead of the pronoun, I kind of, that's kind of a tangent off the song literature. Sorry. No, um, that's okay. This is so good to think about. Yeah, it's just, it's tons of things. And then it's like, you know, pop, pop, patch is another example where typically, or it was traditionally played that you'd have a line of girls and a line of boys and it's where, where's pretty little Susie mm -hmm. and then come on boys, let's go find her. And so I know a lot of teachers have already made these changes where they have non-gender assigned lines for that dance Yes, um, and have changed it to where, where is our friend so-and-so, which mm -hmm. is fine and dandy. But if you're going to use, like I would use that song for Tika Tika, you have to think first when you're using a song about what is your pedagogical purpose? Mm -hmm. And then looking at things that are gender specific, like where oh, where is pretty little Susie? And if you're going to change it to where oh, where is our friend Susie, then where's the ticka ticka? Right. Because you're taking that out of three of the phrases. So pedagogical purpose. So I, I always look at like pop. I have to be honest. I hate pop pop at. <laughs> too so I was using this example like right is like will I continue using that to teach ticka ticka or is there something better right you know and and I think that's a lot of has to apply with not only the sensitivity towards all of our students and our history and culture of songs you know you're always thinking what is best for our children right so, and I, then sorry sorry I was just gonna say uh Christopher Roberts did a great session at the OAKE conference it was like the Sunday spotlight session in Columbus and mm -hmm. he talked about Papa Patch, and he had his students come up with other lyrics that could work. So they came up with like, where, where is awesome little Susie? You know what I mean? Or something like that, that if you still wanted to pedagogically use it for Ticka Ticka, you still could, but the students have more ownership over the lyrics. Absolutely. Absolutely. You have the students come up with it. And then also that you're, it's good, if, especially if you're prepping Ticka Ticka, that how many sounds are there and what can we replace it? Right. Yeah. As well too. So then you're actually doing a good job of prepping that there's four sounds on a beat with that particular right. song, which I do hate. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry to everybody that likes pop. No, that's okay. There are some songs that like snail, snail. No, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Especially if you play with the parachute because once you've committed. Yeah. Once you told me the parachute game, I was like, well, I might play it if I had a parachute, but otherwise <laughs> nope, I'm not doing it. <laughs> Right. Yeah. So there, that was um, some examples of song literature, but then there's other examples of song literature too, like that I'll use as examples in my presentations. Like I want to be a farmer. Mm -hmm. And that was, I want to be a farmer, a farmer, a farmer. I want to be a farmer and buy my lady stand. And so it's got this gender specific thing where he's talking about the farmer and the lady's going to stand there. But this is a one that I would not change the text on. I would keep it as is mainly because it's teaching a little bit of the history of American history. And I, I feel like sometimes there's times that you can change it like pop-up patch. And then sometimes I think it's time you just leave it as is because I think you don't want to throw the baby out with the bathwater per se with all of your song literature. Does that make sense? 
Yes, but it's the singing roles then in that game where traditionally that one is boy, girl, boy, girl, boy, girl around the circle and you have a partner in a corner. That's where I bring the gender neutrality in and we never refer to it as the boys and the girls. I usually, and I hate using A's and B's and ones and twos because it seems like there's hierarchy. So yeah. a lot of times I'll use the school colors, uh, red or white, uh-huh. the reds and the whites, and then use uh, dance specific terms as like corner, corners and partners mm-hmm. instead of boys and girls or whatever. So mm-hmm. that's one of the examples that I use when I'm talking about singing games and dances for gender roles. And then um, getting into communication with families, like family structures are ever-changing. We know that the norm is not to have a mom and a dad at home or have two parents at home. Many of our children have experienced divorce of their parents, and some of our parents at home are not heterosexual. Um, Some children might be raised in foster homes or living with family members. And so the use of non-pronouns in communication home is really important because you don't know who's at home. So a lot of times when I write stuff to my parents, I'll say Red Hawk families or Red Hawk community. Oh, such a small change, but so, so good. Yeah. Just a simple little change like that. And then, you know, I I know probably everybody does this, but not saying the boys and girls, but addressing your student or not your child, your child. But I I like using your student over your child, because a lot of times if it's a foster situation, they're not technically their child legally. And if it's a grandparent raising them, I mean, it is their child, but it's just little, I think there's a little bit more welcoming of all people. If you say students, because they're all students. And then there's things also like concert dress that you might be talking about with your families at home or the community at that gender specific concert dress. I know a lot of times like at the high school, they have, you know, these beautiful dresses for girls and the boys are all expected to wear suits. And why is that important? Well, can't we all just have like dark bottoms and white tops or something right. like that? You know, making yeah. that it's not exclusive. And girls will often ask if they can wear, can wear dresses. And I don't care if they wear dresses as long as they have a white top and a black bottom, right. <laughs> you know, and not sweatpants. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Not <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And it's just, it's all communication home. And I think that one thing that we uh, sometimes as music teachers, we feel like we're on an Island. And I think that you can always reach out to your classroom teachers to find out more about the family structures mm-hmm. when you're communicating home with specific families. Like if you need to call home and you don't know that family, a lot of times I'll reach out to my classroom teachers to ask about the family structure at home. So I know who I'm talking to about that particular student. If that makes sense. Yes. And I don't know about people listening, but I have, we use Power Teacher Pro and now they have it in the system where you can easily contact parents or whoever's, you know, taking mm-hmm. care of the child. And it says next to their name, who they are to the child. Oh, and that's cool. So you might actually, you know, have the ability, the people who are listening, you might just check out, do you have a system like that? Like in your grading system or something where you're just easily able to see who's in the house. Right. Ours, I know, says mother or father, or in the mother slash guardian, father slash guardian. Oh, so you okay. know who say whether it is a mother or it's a guardian. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's not helpful then. Yeah. Yeah. No, but yeah. So, I, you know, and when in doubt, ask it of your classroom teachers or the counselor probably would know too. Yeah, those are great thoughts. I heard someone, I want to say it was like in a Facebook group that someone brought this to my attention. And I thought, oh, that's such a good point. Instead of saying like, oh, ask your mom or dad, say, ask your adult. Yes. You know, or ask your adults, or I, I think I've just been saying, ask the adult or ask an adult, I guess would be better. Ask an adult mm-hmm. in your house. Cause like you just said, you don't really know who's at home. Right. So that's more, and you know, even, you know, you have kids whose parents are divorced. You have kids who are in a foster family. So there's a, all great adaptation. So you, you just spoke to this, of what changes would you make? Can you think of any other changes that we as music educators can make to provide a safe space for all students in our music room? 
Um, I just think one of the best things to do is not make assumptions and try not to stereotype because then you're assuming something out of a student that you don't know whether it's true at all or not. Right. As you've presented about gender neutrality, so I know you've presented pretty often recently about gender neutrality. What are some common questions and arguments that you've heard from um, the main, the main one is there's a lot of conversation about the difference between transgendered versus non-binary. Mm-hmm. Um, non-binary, you know, there's, they're not identifying as either or. And it's kind of, um, I love this. There's a book on gender by Sam Killerman called The Guide to Gender. And he has a genderbred person and it has like, it's separated into, you know, your identity versus your anatomical organs versus how you, your identity how you, your physical dress versus your sexual orientation. And that the fact that it's transgendered is my understanding is to be your identifying as a sex that you're not anatomically mm-hmm. connected to. So my student that identifies as a male is transgendered because their anatomical sexual organ is a female organ or non-binary is there's more of a spectrum. It's not solid boy, solid girl, you know, it's not either or, but the fact that there's a spectrum of femaleness and maleness that comes with non-binary. So their, their physical appearance might be, you know, strongly male, but there's still an aspect of, on the spectrum of female. Does that make sense? Yes. And so when it comes to the identity that they identify with male sexuality, but they also identify with female sexuality, the fact that there's no either, or I'm either boy or girl, but I'm somewhere in the spectrum and I don't know where I am. Right. So, um, and then the other big concerns that have come up with is how to address students. And we kind of talked a little bit about that. I think when in doubt, use their name mm-hmm. or use a, a, the plural, they, them are there. Right. I love that suggestion because I think it's actually kids want to hear their name. Everybody wants to hear your name. You know, when someone says your name and they say it correctly, it can feel like, oh, they know me or they want to get to know me or they care about me. Whereas if you're just using a pronoun, you don't get that same kind of feeling. You know, when someone says my name, and my name is hard to say. So a lot of times people mispronounce it, but when they look at me and they say Aileen, I'm like, oh, they said my name right. And it just, uh-huh. you know what I mean? So There's a lot of power in a name. Yeah. Yeah. And it, you know, we all know that teaching is like 99% student relationships and right. those relationships that you build with students and building that trust with them that like, you, you're not gonna be able to teach them if they don't trust you, right. you know? So, and that using their name b- helps build that trust. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. And I feel like a, just in my conversations with people, I feel like an argument that I've heard from people, I don't know if you've also heard that is simply, but I don't understand Mm-hmm. My take, I don't know what you feel about this. My take is like, ideally you would try to understand and you would try to empathize with someone who maybe feels like a different gender or doesn't feel like they're any specific gender. But even if you can't understand or empathize, then at least make the changes that you've suggested because it honors them. You know? Right. And I, th- I think one of the other struggles that when I presented on this too is, you know, you've got to put aside your personal beliefs. I believe, you know, a lot of people that are non are that are strictly binary, but you know, I, I think that you identify as binary. Uh-huh. You have to put that aside because your student may not identify that way. They might identify as non-binary. I identify as cisgender, which means I identify with my female genitalia where others might be pangender. So it's just, it's really, and then, you know, you have, you have students that might ident- not identify with any gender at all. Again, so that I think that again, using their name and trying to be sensitive to the fact that not everybody's like you, you know? Yeah. Those are really great thoughts and suggestions. I appreciate it. I know you mentioned one resource, which we can definitely link to in the show notes. Um, What other resources would you recommend for those people who want to continue learning and growing in this area? 
Yeah, my main number one favorite is The Guide to Gender that I already mentioned by Sam Killerman. Mm -hmm. He's also um, kind of a comic, stand-up comic about gender, but so he, he presents it in a really lighthearted way Okay, um, that makes it a very easy read and it also very clear. He sets it out very well so you, you can understand it very well, if that makes sense. Yeah. Um, it's no like, but I got confused by this part. He's really very specific in the things that he says, but he also has a lot of humor, which makes the read go really well. And then there's Gender, Your Guide by Lee Ayrton that I like as well. And then Rethinking Sexism, Gender, and Sexuality. And that's by many different authors and actually is a text that a lot of colleges will use in their classes about gender. And then Teaching for Diversity and Social Justice is more a broad umbrella, but it does address some of the, the gender neutrality issues that we've been talking about as well. Great. I'll make sure to link to those in the show notes. And if you are listening to the podcast for the first time, if you go to my website at mrsmiraclesmusicroom.com and click on podcast, then this is episode 61 and you can find all of those resources there. Is there anything else that we haven't talked about that you would like to talk about with gender neutrality? I think we talked a lot about <laughs> about a lot of the different issues with it. Again, for me, gender neutrality is something I'm always struggling, not struggling, but always striving for in my classroom. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And as you go on this journey to try to be more gender neutral in your classroom, I find myself all the time making mistakes still, you know, using a, using a pronoun that I don't know that that student identifies as. Or, you know, sometimes it's reaching out to like, think about when we were talking with names, sometimes students have nicknames that they would rather go by as well uh -huh. than what their name is written on in, in your class list, you know, but allow yourself, if you're, you choose to take this journey to make mistakes, it's going to happen because it's, it's a habit forming and, you know, it, changing habits is hard. Yes. I've noticed that just like I quit using boys and girls, or I have really tried to stop using boys and girls um, and use like first graders or musicians or whatever instead. But sometimes I'll catch myself about to say it, or like, I'll watch a video from like distance learning last year, where I said boys and girls, and I'm like, ah, <laughs> no, I know when you've been teaching, I've, this is my 22nd year of teaching. And there's so these habits are so ingrained, or these phrases are so ingrained. So they, are, they really are really trying to be consistent with it. But like you just said, I appreciate that, that you might make a mistake. And that's okay. Just keep trying. Absolutely. Yeah. Awesome. Thank you so much. Where can we find you? Um, I have a blog that is neglected, <laughs> but you can find that at uh, musicallaabbott.com. And then I'm also on Instagram and uh, Facebook and I have a teacher speak teacher store also. So yes. And we will make sure to link to all of those awesome resources as well. All right. Do you want to talk about what we're consuming? <laughs> binge watched uh, Bridgerton. I'm already done with it. And I really want to watch more. <laughs> I wish there was more. She uh, just messaged me. What was that like last week? Like, have you watched Bridgerton? You need I know. I'm like, it's so good. <laughs> <laughs> it is so funny because my student teacher that I have right now, she's such a small world thing. She's actually my niece's roommate. Oh, wow. Yes. You, yeah. And she's, so she was telling me, I'm like, she had already watched it. I'm like, how's it end? And she's like, I can't tell you how it ends. I'm like, but you got to tell me something. She goes, I was very satisfied. I'm like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny because it reminds me of how you always look up the ending to The Bachelor. <laughs> I know, I know. And have you been watching that lately too? I have, yeah. <laughs> I have been watching that. And I didn't used to look up the ending, but then after you and I became friends, I will often do it now. And I'm, I haven't done it. I know. And it's harder since they're like quarantined. They're yeah. All the, the yes, people. yeah. They were yeah. actually, the spoilers were not correct last time. I know. So yeah, it'll yeah. be interesting to see this season, but I like, I like him, Matt. 
I do too. I like him a lot. Okay, Bridgerton. And what is the premise of Bridgerton again? Uh, it's set like in the 1850s, and it's there's a queen. It's kind of in, it's kind of it takes place in England and London, and then okay. some other areas. But um, yeah, um, it has a lot of sexuality. So if okay. you're uncomfortable with that, you might not like it that well. Okay. So yeah, it's definitely uh, TVMA. Okay. Don't watch it with kids around. <laughs> don't, oh gosh, no, no, don't watch it with kids around. <laughs> I think even if I had a high school, I'd be like, no. no. Okay. Good to know. Good to know. Yeah. Awesome. I just started listening to Andy Richter has a podcast um, okay. and we watch Conan O'Brien all the time. So we, we really like Andy. Um, so he has a podcast called the three questions with Andy Richter. Mm-hmm. And I just started listening to the first episode. So the reason it's called three questions is because he asks the questions, where do you come from? Where are you going? And what have you learned? But I listened to, I just started listening. It's like a two hour podcast. So I'm not all the way through it yet. Most of them are only like I know some of them look like they were half an hour. Some of them are around an hour. So this one is unusually long, but it's with W. Kamal Bell. I don't know if you're familiar with him. Mm -hmm. He has an awesome show on CNN. I think it's on CNN called, I think it's called United Shades of America. Okay. And he just goes around to different groups of people and different areas of the country and just has conversations with people. Very cool. It kind of reminds me of like the work that Anthony Bourdain had been doing Mm -hmm. um, without the food, you know, like he'd been having conversations, just sitting down and talking to people. Padma Lash, what's her her last name from Top Chef? She also has a a food series, like kind of like Anthony Bourdain. Oh, really? What is it called? Taste the Nation. Oh, yeah, I'll have to check that out. So anyway, yeah, he was having a conversation with Kamau and it, I just, I really like both of them as people. Mm-hmm. And then just hearing them have, like, they're both really down to earth to so just hearing them have a conversation. It feels like I could, you know, grab a cup of coffee and sit down with them, you know? So yeah, I'm, I'm excited to, to listen to the rest of that podcast episode and also just to listen to, to more of that Very with cool. Andy Richter. So I'll make sure to link to that as well. Check that one out. Yeah. So Amy, thank you so much for coming on the show. This was such a good conversation. I learned a lot and I am sure that everyone listening also did too. It's such an important topic. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Yeah, it was great. All right. Have a good one.
Thank you.